BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep, with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel here with Joel Elkadian and Dennis Deco. Dennis might be joining us here a few minutes late. Uh, we just had a dip in the S&P features as we were starting the show. Uh, a lot of volatility out there this morning, folks. A lot of news. Uh, Friday the 13th, I guess uh, hey, markets, the markets saw that on the calendar and they went, oh, let's put all of our macro news out there at the same time. So we're getting a Brexit, apparently. We're getting a trade deal with China. Phase one of the China might be backing out here at least. Oh, that's the latest. They're going to back out now. Yeah, yeah. Quiet deal must be mutually beneficial. That's it. They're quiet on the details because there are no details. Go ahead. Exactly. So that that's going to drive us around here this morning. We're at the mercy uh, of these Brexit and trade deal headlines. Uh, There are some other news as well. We got some interesting earnings. Uh, Facebook is maybe getting an injunction from the FTC, but. The macro will be the story of the day, so we'll talk about that, uh, the movements in the market related to both those headlines, uh, at least for the first few minutes of our show. Later on in the show, we're going to be joined by two guests at the same time, and we're talking biotech today, folks. We're going to be joined by, at 8.35 by Paul Uke and his partner, Mark Charest. They are with LifeSci Fund Management. They're going to talk about what they're seeing in biotech right now. That'll be at 8.35. Joel, what's happening here overnight? We got some wow. got some action. Wowzer, wowzer. Uh, well, we had a higher open on uh, Brexit, right? Yep. That good year. They bought Europe. And we were just hanging out. And we just had just a quick 10-point plunge there. Dennis actually saw it a little bit ahead of time. And then the bottom fell out here. But hit 62.50. Uh, that's the daily pivot at 63. That's the only reason. Or actually, 61. So, it's a random walk here. I, I'm not going to give it any levels. Pre-market highs, what I'll give, it's 31.85. We'll use that as a target on the upside. Crude this morning, crude is in the green by uh, 48 cents at uh, well, 44.59.62. Gold in the green too. That's up 5.20 at 14.77 and a half. Silver up a dime at 17.05. Bitcoin flat here. That's not having much volatility is all at all. And uh, boy, just a lot of movement here in the pre-market. We'll see how that uh, foretells for the opening session of the 9:30 opening. A lot could be happening between now and then. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, CNBC, for that headline at eight o'clock. Pretty much on the nose there that China has concerns about the hard targets the U.S. is pushing for. With regards to the agricultural purchases, particularly soybeans, so that's what we got just I now. I gotta hand it to you, Spencer. 
I got to hand it to young Spencer. Me? Yeah. We, when we were on the pre-pre-market show, yep. you were like, I, I don't think there's a deal. Where's their deal? Where's their assigned deal? Exactly. Do, you have, do you have inside information? Are you? No. Uh, I just, you just am just, sick of this market. Uh, <laughs> but that was the headline yesterday. That he, You know what? Here, let me just read the headline from yesterday. We had... Um, we had Trump signs off. This is another from Bloomberg. Yeah, wasn't he signing it? This is from Bloomberg. Trump signs off on trying to trade deal to avert December tariffs. And then there was another one that said uh, we had uh, agreed uh, in uh, to terms of a deal. Nothing had been signed. There was no contract, no legal language. Uh, but they were taking it to Trump. We had agreed to terms of, of a phase one deal. No, we haven't. We've agreed to nothing. We've agreed to nothing. This is all just noise. Was it there a phone call? Did they do a phone call? Remember the phone call incident a while ago? Yeah, not yesterday. No, that was a while back. Right. Ah, uh, well, there you go. There's the market. We pop right back up. We're in the green here. I'll keep an eye. What's we're right at mid range on the session here. At it would be. I'm still looking at the D's contract for you folks here. Let's see what mid-range in the session is here because you got very, very few levels to keep an eye on up here in the stratosphere. But let's see. What do we have for mid-range in the December contract? 73.75, and that's where we're trading now. So decision time for the market. But late in the earnings season. Well, uh, no, let's not go to earnings just yet. We, no, we, we, we got to talk, talk about Brexit. Okay, let's um, talk about Brexit. This is... Gosh, it's like they threw all the macro news at us at, at the same time here. So we we supposedly got a trade deal, which we know we didn't, and we also look like we're, looks like we're going to get a Brexit now. Uh, Boris Johnson essentially pushes chips into the middle of the table and and won the hand is is what happened. Uh, he called a snap election, uh, thinking it would help him get more leverage in the Brexit discussions. He won that snap election in a landslide, and now it looks like we are going to get. Again, looks like, keywords there, looks like we could get a Brexit within the next few weeks here. Uh, and you just saw every European seem like stock just jump off that. I mean, look at the banks. Look at BCS. Look at uh, all of them this Royal morning. Bank yeah, our RBS BCS. here. Look, look at that. What's the other one? RBS, yeah, those are uh, – those are – just lifetime moves for them. I mean, that's as big a move. Let's look at uh, first look at Barclays, BCS here. Uh, that stock, how much did it move the whole year? And uh, here you're trading up nine, trading up 78 cents and 9.86. So there's already been a lot of, you know, is Europe even closed yet? It's already have the price discovery here. So if you're trading these, the move has pretty much been accounted for. Let's look at these banks. I don't know. I mean, this is such a historical move for these. I guess you would wait for some follow through. Um, you did hit uh, 9.99 here in BCS. You backed off a little bit, so call it $10. This stock hit $10. Uh, when's the last time we've been over $10 for BCS? 10.27 back in August of 2018. So if you're looking for a target above $10 in that, there you go. And then let's go to um, RBS, Royal Bank of Scotland. That's trading up 77 cents, 12 and a half percent. That's just trading at the highs of its session uh, right here. This is at the high. The high in Royal Bank of Scotland is 6.93. Who else do we throw in that category? ING. Is that another European bank? Ing, that's trading up here. So uh, good news for the European banks here. It's it's mostly Breton. So, and I'll come on here to just calm down here finally. I mean, I'm getting ready. We're getting ready for the show. And then right at 8 o'clock, that's going to be fall 10 handles. So I go into, obviously, um, you know, I've got to work out of some trades and stuff like that happens. You get that kind of volatility. But just bring up, if you want to see what is really moving over in Europe, it's the EWU and those components. So bring up the EWU. That's obviously your United Kingdom ETF, which um, is obviously the one that's going to be benefiting the most, it appears, from Brexit. Um, that was the story last night as well. All Europe is trading higher, but nothing is trading higher than the EWU. And if you look at the big banks, yes, some of the European banks are up, but nothing like Barclays, BCS, and RBS. 
those two are up enormous. You know, if you look at the other ones, you got Banco Santander up 10%. You got Deutsche Bank up 2%, but nothing like the 8% uh, and the 12% that we're seeing out of RBS and BCS. Those are going to be your big two movers. Um, lo lower ones, if you want to look at Lloyd's Bank, LYG, also UK, that's a smaller one. It's up 8% as well. But just go to the EWU components. That's really, you know, when you see a, an ETF up that much, best thing to do is, hey, let's look under the hood and let's see what's in there. Biggest component of the EWU is HSBC. It's trading up 2%. You got BP, second biggest component, up 1.5%. AstraZeneca, up 1.5%. Royal Dutch Shell. Now, uh, obviously, we have oil trading up too, so that helps as well. But these stocks are going to be up no matter what just because of Brexit. GSK, trading up 1%. Diageo, trading up 1.96%. Uh, so you can go to every single one of those components there. Rio Tinto, up 2.1%. All the top components are all up minimum, it seems like a 2% or more. And then you've got obviously the banks that are up, you know, substantially. So financially driven, obviously there. So it's going to be a big day over there for those stocks. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, the one major headline. And then what Spencer was alluding to um, when he started the show was that wasn't the only headline we got. We got the second headline and we were talking yesterday about um, obviously this deal getting closer, which looks like it isn't as close as they let on yesterday. Around and around we go. It is. What a roller coaster, huh? I mean, the drop on the headline like that, obviously we've settled back. We're still up six and a quarter. Uh, and that news, too, came between five and six when the futures were closed. So they uh, adjusted with that with the higher open. But That was the Brexit news. So, yep. yeah, Brexit happened. Uh, the Brexit news happened right around just after five when the futures were closed. But you saw immediately, you saw European ETFs getting bid up substantially. So, and especially the ones that from the UK, like the EWU itself, which is direct play on the UK. Um, those were the ones moving. But the one headline that I, I want to mention too, obviously yesterday, Spencer, if you can just, you know, people who weren't paying attention to the headlines there yesterday, the big reason why we had the substantial rally in the afternoon was it reported that, it was reported that, um, it looks like the, the deal is almost done, at least the, right. the first part right. of it. Right, and I read the Bloomberg headline. It was from, uh, I, I'll read it. This, this is from 2.30 p.m. yesterday. Uh, Trump is from Bloomberg. Trump signs off on trying to China trade deal to avert December tariffs. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that was the headline going around yesterday. Those, those... How many times have we, you know, and you've got to be skeptical when you see that you know, the deal is close to being done. I mean, you see tr Trump signs off. It sounds, here's, here's, okay, well, we're getting real serious now. Signs off on the tariffs, though. It wasn't signs off on a deal. Trump, you, Trump signs off. That I read that, and I think, oh, Trump signed, he signed a piece of paper. But then yeah. in the second paragraph, it says, the terms have been agreed, but the legal text has not yet been finalized. What? What? Yeah. Again, it seems like, you know, these headlines, some of them are written just to grab clicks. Um, and you, know, you got to get in the devil's in the details. A lot of times we know that even from trading headlines, you know, sometimes you see, oh yeah, there's something big happening here. And then you go and read the story and maybe it's not that big. I mean, it was big news yesterday that, you know, we're getting closer to a deal, but we've been hearing this for a year and a half that we're deal, no deal, deal, no deal. So until we see like deal signed, you know, not deal signed to push back the tariffs, deal signed for the first part of the trade agreement. That's, you know, a different story. And the, and the question is, is it all priced in now too? I mean, I just wonder, you know, the S&Ps have rallied so much on the potential deal that you just wonder if a lot of it isn't already baked in. So it's not, uh, it's not, just, it's not just automatic that if we get a signed deal the first part, that the S&Ps are going to rip up 5%. That's just not automatic. We, it, could be, it could do the opposite. Um, so it's a tricky market to trade off the headlines. It's the bottom line. But we have a lot of macro risk right now. So if you're even trading individual stocks and saying, I don't care about any of this stuff, I'm an individual stock trader. No. Well, this stuff affects not your today. individual stocks not, not more today. than your individual stocks. Yeah. So yeah. it's important. Um, on Friday the 13th of all days, I guess it's... I forgot it's Friday the 13th. Yeah, I don't know. Is that a good omen or a bad omen? I'm not, oh, I'm not sure. No, you tell me. I mean, it, it seemed like here, it seemed like yesterday the market was so certain. We signed off on a trade deal and we're definitely getting a Brexit within like a month. That was the, the tone yesterday. Whether that changes today, it, it, is, it has already changed today uh, on the U.S.-China front. 
I don't know about Brexit, but the market seems pretty confident that Brexit is going to happen now, which is a good thing because all we want is a, is some certainty. All we want is a resolution to the conflict here. But I mean, think about how long we've we been talking about Brexit. Two years. Two years. Two years. Yep. Let's get some resolution. If it's going to happen, let's do it. If not, get her done. We'll deal with the repercussions of it all after. Let's get exactly. her done. That's why the market's plotting it. Let's get it done. Exactly. I mean, I think that you're the, the the obviously the UK market's plotting it more because hey, they think they can do better on their own, obviously. And there's a lot of people that believe that over in Europe because it's what they voted for. So you know, I don't know. You know, Europe's rallying off of it too. So maybe they think everybody's better off without Europe. I'm not sure, <laughs> or without the UK, but. In any regard here, we don't need to analyze, you know, what means what. We just need to analyze what the trading action is. And the trading action is telling you that UK is applauding this deal. So expect most of your UK stocks, which are already trading higher, to be up substantially on this news. I can't remember when there wasn't a trade war. I know. It feels like it, ha- feels like it has been forever. It's a good point. I, we, we've been talking the trade war on this show. I feel like for two years. I guess it's only been a year and a half, but it feels like forever. And it, it's it's got to be a hundred headlines we've had from it. Oh. I bet you a hundred in the in the in the four hundred trading days we've probably had since trade wars started. You know, two hundred fifty trading days a year. We'll say maybe three hundred and fifty trading days total that we've had. Um, it's probably a hundred days we've had a headline on deal no deal from China. I guess as a trader, we should applaud it. You know, it's more volatility. I make money as there is more volatility. So it gives you more inefficiencies. It gives you more opportunity. But as an investor, you just scratch your head and you say, man, no wonder the market hasn't really gone anywhere for the last couple of years. People say, oh, it's up 26%. What are you talking about? Yeah, but the year before we were down. I mean, we just finally in the second part of, you know, in the last two months, finally started to break out of what has been a two-year trading range. Like we had on the S&Ps, we were up at 293 a year and a half ago. And we just finally have broken out of that area. So most of these gains have happened really in the last two months. As we get closer to a deal. Yeah, I don't know what else there is to say. I, I don't think Joel does either. No, okay. I don't. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. China, China's going to hold a press briefing today. Cool. So we sit here and we still go around and around and around until they tell us we don't get to go around anymore. So keep trading it. I mean, the fade trade has worked for a while, not in the last couple of weeks because they really, the market is trading like a deal is imminent. I'll tell you that, you know, yesterday's move, the moves we've had, every dip getting bought like crazy. The market's trading like there's good news coming. The question is, first of all, how good is the good news going to be? And then when is that actually going to be, when is that actually going to happen? Yeah. All right. Let's move on away from the macro. Um, sure. News, non-news. Where would you like to go? We can go to biotech. We can go to earnings. We got. We'll do. There's there's four big reports. Four yeah. of them. So we yeah. might as well do the four big ones. Okay. And probably the biggest one from last night is probably Adobe, because it's trading up eight bucks and it's making new all-time highs. I believe it's not all-time highs. Yes, it is. And it reported a pretty good quarter. Yes, they did. They beat their EPS estimate. They beat the sales estimate. They gave some guidance for next year. That was also good. So good, good, good. Good, good, good. We like good, good, good. So Adobe actually, believe it or not, sold off initially because the news algos always get it wrong. I'm saying always. It's not always, but it seems like they get it wrong a lot of times. So Adobe decided to sell off and go down on the initial bar to 300 bucks. Uh, right close to $300. You hardly see it on that chart because it's just a little line because it was down there for like 10 seconds. I don't know what they saw in that initial headline that they didn't like, but they got it dead wrong. And then they ripped it 17 points. All right. I am. Who's running this news algo that we talk about? Maybe it's selective perception on our part. Is it selective perception? You know, Chad, I'm asking you, is it just selective perception that they seem to be wrong a lot of times? But Man, I mean, if I was running that news algo and I keep selling stocks, I should be buying and buying stocks, I should be selling. I think I, I think I'd probably switch the, the switch the, that uh, algo a little bit. So, but maybe it's like the perception. Maybe you know the other ones that we don't point out. Maybe they're really good in the small caps. We don't cover them that much. The smaller stocks, we always cover the mega caps here, or the, you know the larger cap stocks. But it seems like they just get it. I don't, I don't understand. Like I look at this Adobe report. Like, and why does it go down $5? So you look at the numbers and you think, okay, you got 229 versus 226, so it's not a huge beat. The guidance, you know, looks pretty good too. I mean, 
I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, not looking right, but it, it looks like you know, an okay report. I don't see why, for whatever reason, you're hitting that, especially in a day that everybody's looking to buy dips still. Dangerous to be hitting stocks when you're in this market that can, can continuously buys dips. Yeah, it's uh, I'm having problems here with my shorter term charts here. So just uh, mark that pre-market high there uh, comes in. Was it closer like the 320 here? Did we get up there? 318. It looks like we spiked to leaking a little bit, but uh, just use that uh, that pre-market high as a target. And I don't know. I might have to reboot my uh, computer here. Not reboot, but up 884 all time high. Pick your target here. Pre-market. Oh, I did get it. Uh, we have leaked a little bit. We did get to 317.58. So use that as a target. That was on the initial print. Uh, of the pre-market low down at three. You know, a lot of stock traded there too, Dennis. I was just going to say, maybe they hit it on like light volume or something. It was trading down. It traded. Oh, man. It traded over half a million shares there. It's so day. fast. Like for a human to just say, oh, you know, it, it's fairly quick. It, but all I was thinking is, you know, and, and you can't stop, but get us to get more information here. Um, you can't help but think that I've got, I had a mentality of buying the dip on Adobe too, even before, even before I saw the numbers, I'm like looking at this and saying, we pull back a little bit. Everybody's buying the dips on everything here. The market's been ripping we're in full bull mode. I'm looking to buy dips on earnings reports too, because a lot of times they rip right back. I mean, it depends on the report and it depends on what the stock has done into it, but the cloud's hot again. I mean, you look at these cloud stocks, and they were cold back in October. A lot of them have turned around. Twilio, not so much. There's still a few that are in the gutter. But, you know, CRM's been your leader. It had a good day yesterday. They're, they're starting to get – they're starting to pick up again. But, I mean, everything. It's the overall market that's driving that sector higher. All right. Let's do some other reports here. What do you want to do, Spencer? Uh, let's go to – I guess we'll go to Oracle. We'll stay with tech here. So, Adobe was good. How was Oracle yesterday? It was it was it was actually okay. It was mixed. They beat on the EPS ninety cents versus eighty eight cents. Sales missed by a hair nine point six versus nine point six five billion dollars. Uh, they gave some uh, guidance, I believe, on the conference call. They said to, uh, for the current quarter, for the, so their Q three, this current quarter happening right now, total revenues are expected to grow, uh, to grow one to three percent on a constant currency basis. And um, what else do they say? Uh, autonomous database cloud revenue was up over 100% last quarter, so that's, that's a good number to see. But um, that's, what we got, that's what I got on, on Oracle, a mixed report. Oracle, we said yesterday, it always seems to disappoint. <laughs> it, it seems like, I think the last quarter was one that it went the other way and it actually went up, but it seems like three out of four quarters, this thing goes down. It ran straight up into the quarter. This is like textbook Oracle. Pulls back, dollar, maybe $2 today, maybe even, you know, if in the worst case, you get down like 54 maybe. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if it does, you look at this three months from now, it's probably right back up at the highs because it's, it's, it's one that dips on the earnings, stays out of favor for maybe a few weeks and slowly starts to drift back up. And by the time you get back to the other earnings report, it's either making, you know, it's back where it was before the prior report or making new highs. It's just the, it's just the best, you know, buy. it seems like one of the best buy the dip stocks dip out stocks, there. Yep. Uh, it just, it held a resistance higher the move there. Okay, Joel. I hit the hit the uh, mute button there on the on the quick sneeze. No uh, we had big old bracket there, fifty six sixty. Then you went to fifty four forty six. So there, you're good buck above that straight up move. That fifty four fifty area looks good. Uh, this is where the move emanated from. You had a low at fifty four eighteen, and then another low at fifty four thirty. So. Let's see if you get back down in the lower 54s, find some buyers in Oracle. On the way back up here, let's look at the range from yesterday. And the range, we close near the high. Uh, let's see what happens at 55.76. That was a low from yesterday. That would fill the gap. So you might find some resistance there if you do go in uh, rally mode. Staying with tech here, we'll go to Broadcom, also reporting yesterday after the close. Q4 adjusted EPS of $5.39. That beat the estimate by $0.03. Cents. Sales for the quarter, $5.76 for $5.73 billion. So a slight beat and a slight beat for uh, the Q4 numbers. They gave some uh, sales guidance for next year that came in uh, higher than estimates by about $1 to $2 billion. 
Uh, big range here off the number. Uh, boom, boom. Pre-market low, buy the dippers did come in. Uh, you got to 316.86, five bucks off that low. Nice run. Let's see what happens. Yesterday's low was three. You're still trading within yesterday's range. Big old range yesterday. Bought this thing up ahead of the report. So let's just stick with uh, you know the range from yesterday, 1943 uh, support from yesterday. And uh, we'll look for uh, resistance at the close, 327.80. I mean, this is a classic example of a stock that ran up into the report significantly. It was up 10 bucks ahead of the report yesterday at one time. <laughs> so this is obviously the case where a stock's got to blow it away. You know, Adobe was up, but it was actually down earlier. You know, you can see the Adobe chart. This didn't run. I mean, for five, you know, seven markets were going straight up. Adobe's been going nowhere. So you can say, well, Adobe didn't need to blow it away, but AVGO absolutely needed to. And that's just looking at the chart. What's it done going into it? Expectations are higher. They're going to have a higher bar to get over because the stock was $300 or $303 a week ago, week and a half ago. So it's ran up 10% a week and a half. Got to blow it away. Didn't blow it away. It's down slightly. With that being said, the buy the dip mentality that's out here, um, you know, maybe you're early at 323. I definitely think you could get to yesterday's low, if yep. possible, 319.43. What happens after that? If you get through that, then you'd be down to 315. So, yeah, and you got to be careful. I mean, you can't just go and randomly buy the dip on everything. But it seems like more often than not, when you're buying the dip, you're, you're getting to be on the right side of the trade eventually. All right, what else do we do? Costco? Yep, that's the last one, last of the big ones, really. Last uh, of the big Mohicans. For, for the season, I, I would say. I don't know who, mm. who reports next week, if anybody haven't looked yet. But Costco, also after the close yesterday, reporting Q1 EPS, they I feel like they always beat. Buck 90 versus Buck 71. Sales actually missed uh, by a hair, uh, a hair, 37.04 billion versus 37.25 billion. So a slight, slight sales miss for last quarter. Comms for the quarter up 4.3% on a year-over-year basis. E-commerce comms up 5.5% on a year-over-year basis. I feel like it's always a good quarter for Costco. Again, because we get the comps, I said this yesterday on the show, because we get the comps every month, it's not totally like, you know, we're, we're in the dark here on Costco. So that's one thing to always consider that, you know, I think sometimes volatility is sometimes muted off these Costco reports because you kind of got a feel for it already with the comps. Uh, I used to like it that all the retailers did that. Hardly any do it anymore. It's trained down. I mean, you got some support if you just get down to the 292. It's a little bit defensive. So if the market's really ripping, is this a stock that, you know, is going to continue to rip up the market? Probably not. It has some defensive aspects to it. So I think I'm just hands off. I could see it getting down to the 292 area. Yeah. But again, if it gets this silly or something, eventually the Costco dips probably get bought too. But I'd be cautious just because of the defensive aspect of it. This isn't the kind of, you know, if we get a trade deal, it's not going to be like, oh, everybody buy Costco. <laughs> just the way this market works. Everyone's already buying Costco. No. Yeah, uh, that, that parking lot's just insane. Yeah. Um, pull up the daily on this one because I think this is one of your, you know, sometimes I pass, sure. sometimes there's an easier chart. Uh, Spencer's going to go to the daily here and it's just, just hold 292. I mean, just look at that. Uh, Dennis, you mentioned that level. We had a, a big red candle that day. It stopped at 92.50. Uh, you go back, it had a, just a couple lows in that area. What was your two-day low? Your two-day low was 93.05. So just as long, give yourself some room here. As long as you hold 292, you got to think that this thing is in a pretty good territory. Under 292, I think things open up, but that's what I'd be using. If you're a longer-term perspective on things, I, I like that level. See if you can get back up to challenge the, uh, what's the old-time high in Costco? Just the 307.10. But I like 292 as support. That's your earnings. Uh, now we go into a lull where you're going to have no earnings for a while. Maybe that's a nice thing. I mean, it's not no earnings, but there's not going to be as much happening. Um, Seems like this is like really the, still lingering, you know, the end of the. There know, always is something. Recording. Yeah. Like, uh, won't um, Blackberry come out or something? Aren't they like really late? I think. They're coming. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, next week we have FedEx and Nike's always like the last one. We have Nike. The official end of earnings season. It used yeah. to be Alcoa kicks it off, but now nobody talks about Alcoa. So they don't even mention oh. that one anymore. Nike ends it. Hey, look yeah. at Chewy. 
Chewy Chewy up fifty four cents today. That stock just keeps moving again too. I think there was a uh, there was some type of act or not an activist, but there was uh, somebody bought a bunch of shares yesterday. I saw that go by. How about I, it was a company? It was passive stake though. How but I did see it go by in the SEC um, filing. Viking Global Investors. There you go. Who's so, backing that up? That might help it. Who's backing up the truck uh, under thirty bucks in Peloton? You think uh, you think Mister Left is trying to uh, wiggle out of his short good, there? Good. Good level, Joel. I like that. Yeah. And you know what? I I was saying, I think we're going to get a run here, you know, prior. Maybe this is the dip to buy for that run. And you know what? In this in I, I, I again, I'm still scared long term on this. So that's why I can't bring myself to buy it. But I still think it's going to have they're going to have a pretty darn good quarter. Did but it, you don't hear from that till February. Did it? Did I tell you we cleared out the uh, the 20 year old um, stair? uh well, we had a like fifty-year-old bike, and then uh, a treadmill. We cleared it out. Boom! Getting ready for that Peloton to be delivered last week. I was talking to another buddy of mine who uh, has a friend that got one. He absolutely loves it. He's absolutely. Dennis, De- you got to get one because you don't have time to work out. You I have, have to- a treadmill. I don't. I can put. I put my here. I've, I've actually created my own Peloton because what I do is I bring my iPad onto my Peloton onto my own current you're, treadmill, you're and I watch pre-market prep. You're, you're Dennis. You can. You can. You can. I do bring my iPad. Actually, I was. I was. I've got the Disney Plus app on my iPad, and I sit there and I watch the Mandalorian or I watch the Star Wars. I get that going on my iPad. So I've already created my own Peloton. I don't need to spend. You can I, I have the Disney Plus app, which gives me new content as well. So I don't need, you know, I probably, maybe Disney Plus could come out with somebody to tell me what to do on my treadmill. How do we get Walk ben- now, faster. How do we get Benzinger Pro on the Peloton? That's the question. Oh, it's easy. Really? I, I get it on my iPad, so you don't even need to worry no, about that. All right. Dennis, as soon as we get it set up and as soon as Lisa figures it out. We're I'll come over. It. Maybe you'll make me a believer. Right well, now, maybe- I'm a non-believer, but I still think there's a trade here to the upside. We're, we're going to get you uh, We're going to get you your own profile. You can get, you know, you can have different pro. We're going to get one for you. Excellent. I'll look forward to that, Joel. Okay. All right. Uh, let's go to Facebook here. Facebook. Um, Took a bit of a haircut yesterday. The news is that the FTC is seeking an injunction against Facebook over how the different parts of their business work together. So how Facebook works with Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, nothing has happened yet, but an injunction would compel Facebook to to do or not do certain things. It's an ugly candle. We've seen this already <laughs> happen before, though, and the dip was bought. So I don't know if I'm coming. I own Facebook, my long-term portfolio. I'm not selling it on this headline thinking, oh, we've got some major problems coming here. We saw this headline happen already, I think, a couple of times. A, a, a similar headline, obviously. And I think it was back in October when you see the stock dropped about eight bucks in the one day there. You can see the big move there, 190 to 181. I think that might have been it. There was a couple where it's dropped like this before. Those dips that were buying opportunities before, I'm going to say it's a buying opportunity again. Although... Um, I already own it, so. Yeah, that was a big candle. They bought it up. I had a whole area one ninety five. I see we dipped to one ninety four eighteen, kind of like the Costco chart. Like you stay above one ninety five here, one ninety five oh eight. That was your low on the third. You dipped below it yesterday. Just draw a line there, one ninety five. I wouldn't be too worried about this thing until it closed below one ninety five. But boy, that was a big candle yesterday. Uh, staying green here. Let's see if uh, people reload again at 200. Big volume yesterday too. But isn't this an old story too? Like with no, Facebook, this is a new story. a new story. That, boy, it's, the headline. It's been a, it's been a story. It's been materializing for a while though. This right. isn't like out right. of the blue. No, but the FTC, like we haven't gotten anything beyond the fact that the FTC is investigating Facebook. Now we're getting okay. What's actually happening uh, in that? They're seeking an injunction. What's next? So this is just a it, – it's, it's going to continue to develop. What's, yeah. But the story hasn't developed at all yet. All we got was the initial headline. It's early. Well, this it's very early. Will it be resolved before the trade war is over or not? That's a – Unlikely, <laughs> I would say. Uh, let's do one more before we, we grab our guest today. Let's do uh, Lyft. Uh, Lyft. Lyft is disrupting Hertz and Avis yesterday. They unveiled a rental car service in certain yep. cities. You don't even have to go to the counter. Why would you use Hertz or Avis now? 
Hertz and Hertz and Car got hit hard on this yesterday. Hertz was down. You can see the candle. Um, this was yesterday afternoon. You can see straight down move. CAR same straight down move. So I don't know. The story was yesterday. Yesterday's story, I will say here for Lyft, I got a good number for you. If you want a, more of a lift in this, uh, you got to get to 47.50. Someone's perched there, uh, 47.44. Yesterday's high, 47.55. Wednesday's high, you also took a look at that level on December 3rd at 47.56. There you go. That's your resistance. Double top for now needs to take it out 70 cents away but there you go that's it and for uber let's look at uber i know it's a different story then when did they have the um when was the news that uh they got kicked out of the uk that was a couple days ago right it was last week they last week they bought it yeah. up yeah they bought it up by the dip, by the dip even in Once uber again. All right, let's bring on uh, today's guest, and we're, and we're going to bring on two people right now, both joining us by phone. Paul Uke is the founding partner of Lifestyle Venture Partners, the creator of the BioShares ETFs with the tickers BBC and BBP. Also, his partner, Mark Charest, who is uh, a founding partner and portfolio manager for Lifestyle Fund Management. Paul and Mark, good morning. Can you hear me? Good morning. Good to be here. All right. Uh, I, I guess we'll just start with Paul. Paul, you, you've joined our show before. I uh, haven't spoken to you for a while. Give us just an overview since we last spoke. Um, we've got a bunch of new listeners. G give us a few uh, quick rundown of what LifeSci uh, Venture Partners and what LifeSci Fund Management does. Absolutely. So LifeSci is a, a global consultancy. We have a few different uh, operating units, uh, but the on the asset management side, we have a couple of ETFs which trade under the, uh, the ticker symbols BBC. That's our clinical ETF, which is actually up 57% year to date. We have BBP, which is our uh, revenue generating biotech ETF. And then re recently, um, we've launched our mutual funds, which I'll let Mark speak about. Um, but then on the private side, which is also exciting, we have uh, uh, some venture funds which invest in private stage biotech and medical device companies. So like, what's the impetus for starting a mutual fund uh, right right now? As ETFs sort of move uh, into that space, uh, ETFs have been uh, moving to maybe some ETFs become a little bit less transparent and look a little bit more like mutual funds. What is the impetus for moving into the mutual fund space in terms of asset management right now? Yeah, I'll let Mark yeah, talk about that. And, and before before I do, I just want to introduce Mark. Mark has a, a PhD in organic chemistry from Harvard, and he's had – um, a very long career in fund management, both at uh, on the mutual fund side, the private uh, the private equity VC side, as well as hedge funds. So he really has a unique background to launch our exciting mutual fund. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Paul. And uh, you know, happy to talk a little bit about it. So maybe I'll just give a little bit of background on it, and you know, speak to the question of why mutual fund now in this space. So, you know, Lifesite Fund Management was founded to manage the Alpha-centric Lifesite Healthcare Fund. Um, we just launched. We're a new fund. Um, our ticker is LYFIX. And then for the other share classes, the A and C share classes, LYFCX and LYFAX. Um, the fund is, is focused exclusively in the healthcare space and you know, has a, a sub-focus on science-driven biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies really addressing the most high unmet needs. Um, getting a little more into the question, you know, if, if you step back and look at the healthcare sector, it has the largest standard deviation of return across any industry segment. At the same time, global healthcare spend is, you know, exceeding $8 trillion and it's projected to grow at a rate over the next five years at over 5%. That's obviously a rate that's surpassing GDP projections. So, you know, we think it's, it's a must-own sector, but given the, you know, high standard deviation of return and the volatility, and I would say that you know, the often mispricing of these assets, we think an active management approach is very well suited here. And, um, you know, I'm excited to partner with, with LifeSci to really benefit from LifeSci's, you know, global reach and insights in innovative healthcare, you know, combined with my background in portfolio management, we think this is a very compelling product to bring forward. So can you go into a little more detail about what the focus of of the, of the funds are, uh, the, the ETFs and the mutual fund, well, what you're focusing on and what kind of companies you, you hold. Yeah, I'll start on the ETFs. And, you know, the ETFs really are, are computerized, algorithmic, and, and we've used kind of our 
uh, careers of knowledge in the in the evolving biotech sector to devise what we think is a better strategy, but ultimately there is no portfolio manager discretion. So the index gives you what the sector gives you, which is long-term growth, but tremendous volatility. And I think taking that sector and harnessing it uh, with active portfolio management like Mark does will give it a different, a different approach to investing in the space. And I'll let Mark yeah, speak about sure. that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, exactly as Paul said, I mean, you know, what we do is, you know, we look pretty broadly at healthcare and we follow, you know, both the innovative development companies and also, you know, the cash flow generating companies. And we have a view for, you know, where things are trading from valuation perspective and when it becomes compelling to own them on the you know, profitable company side. Um, obviously, we're also watching, you know, headline news and trends and, you know, adjust our positioning to, you know, where is the most favorable risk reward at any given moment. Um, and then on the development company side, you know, we use our scientific expertise um, to really unpack and go deep into the science and understand, you know, what really is the potential. You know, as, as anyone who invests in biotech and the pharma space knows is, is that when you come across, you know, major data events and catalysts, whether they be you know, regulatory events or, you know, clinical, major clinical readouts, you know, the stocks can, can move, you know, 100% or more up and, and you know, substantially on the downside. So, you know, having a, I would say, uh, you know, next level insights and being able to position appropriately against, you know, these companies as they go through major events, you know, can be a, a really exciting source of alpha. So, you know, really in short, what we're trying to do is, you know, continuously monitor all the companies across the sector and position the capital for the best risk reward at any given time. Uh, had either of you seen the Sarepta news from yesterday about the, a, another uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy treatment? I'm, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, Exxon 53 is now approved, apparently. So, you know, it was really controversial when it, um, when it was rejected, you know, a number of months ago. And this is an interesting case where the company actually appealed um, FDA's ruling through an internal uh, appeal process. Um, and obviously, um, you know, this morning they were... Or, or yesterday it came out, I guess after the market closed yesterday, um, they were able to get approval. But, um, you know, I think it's incrementally positive for the space, and it speaks to, I would say, the increased, you know, flexibility in the regulatory agency to, uh, you know, to approve innovative new medicines. I think it's fairly unprecedented. I mean, Mark, I can't think of a time where a company lobbied like this and, and very quickly uh, had the FDA turn around and approve the drug. Yeah, Paul, I especially in the time frame that this happened, I mean, if you, if you just think about the timing, usually the way FDA works is, is everything is on a, you know, a predicated schedule. So even to, just to set up a meeting to talk to FDA about, you know, substantive issues takes months to even set these things up. So, you know, from my reading of the press release and FDA's announcement, it seems like they, they levered pretty heavily on sort of the breakthrough nature of this therapy. And because it's you know, it's it's a it's an indication without any other treatment alternatives and a high unmet need. I think that um, you know the agency, you know, to Paul's point, I think went out of their way to to very quickly and rapidly mobilize, you know, to to complete the review and bring the product out so that patients could have access to it. So the stock is up 33% this morning. Is is that an appropriate move here? Um, well, let's step back and look at Syrup in context, right? So it's about a $10 billion market cap company. If you look at their sister drug to Exondus 53, the Goldberg, which was just approved, it's um, Exondus 51, which addresses a slightly larger um, subset of, of Duchenne's patients. Um, and that drug's doing, you know, it's a 300-ish, a little more than that million dollars a year, right? Um, you know, for, for an, almost a $10 billion company, you know, I think a lot of, Sarepta value is in the pipeline and, and certainly a lot of the, you know, really exciting gene therapy pipeline. So, you know, if you think of this as another 300 plus million dollar opportunity, you know, should it be a 30% move or so $2 billion move in the stock? I, I mean, I think that's probably about right. Um, I don't know, Paul, what's, what's your math telling you? I, I think about it a little bit more kind of um, uh, in, Prices for rare diseases like this, where you have very strong franchises that have been demanding premiums. If you look at um, the acquisitions that have occurred just in the past week or two, yeah, for medicines company, for Synthorax, for Arcule, um, you know, companies need the big pharma companies need pipeline assets and they need growth. And 
Uh, a company like Sarep, that's pretty rare where you can project for just a couple of years and have a uh, billion dollars plus of a very strong franchise. So I think that $10 billion uh, is sustainable and there's real revenue growth ahead to drive it, to drive it higher. Mark? I just want to ask you, and, and obviously you just alluded to it, you know, we've seen some acquisitions in this gene therapy sector as of, of recent. Now we get some new, good news for some Sarepta. Are there other, you know, stocks in this in, in the gene therapy arena here that we should be looking at? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, with, with Identis and Spark, you know, being, you know, the two big, you know, uh, gene therapy kind of acquisitions, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, it's credible to imagine any of these companies could be in play, um, you know, for, for a large pharma looking to establish, um, you know, kind of a presence in, oh, um, in, um, in Novartis' acquisition of, um, uh, of Exus, too, right? So there's been three of these, you know, pretty, pretty large takeouts. Now, I would say, you know, anyone that has a large, your gene therapy suite of programs and the manufacturing capability and sort of internal scientific expertise to actually get these things forward. You know, one thing that's underappreciated here is that the manufacturing know-how and the actual ability to make these products to a to a regulatory standard is, is non-trivial. And I think, you know, a, a big part of some of the acquisition premium was, you know, buying the capabilities to actually do the manufacturing, right? And so, you know, I think, um, you know, Unicure, Regenics, um, you know, Sarepta has quite a big suite. You know, there's some, some smaller emerging ones, Ethereum, right? There's a lot of exciting innovation, you know, in this sort of space. Um, and I think any of them could be, could potentially be candidates um, for acquisition. I mean, even, even look at, um, you know, Bluebird Bio, right? This was a very high-flying company that sort of, you know, tested lows and, and is sort of coming back um, a little bit out of ash here, Um you know, that's one, too, where, boy, they have quite a bit of manufacturing capabilities. You know, they have a number of exciting products. I mean, I don't know, Paul. I mean, I don't think I'd be surprised to see another gene therapy acquisition between now and J.P. Morgan. What would you say? Oh, absolutely. Gene therapy is really, it's kind of where antibodies or peptide therapeutics were maybe 15 or 20 years ago. And it's now becoming, you know, it was that the first few companies like the Regenex of the world were, were very unique in that they had all this IP, but now it's becoming an, another therapeutic modality. that's pretty widespread. Every pharma company has to have some capabilities in the space. So, you know, the, the number of acquisitions in space will go up every year um, and everyone will have gene therapy expertise. You know, we like a lot of these small companies. We, we like Rocket a lot. You know, Rocket was a company we invested out of our venture fund and it is in our ETFs. And uh, the ticker is RCKT. They've got a couple of um, upcoming clinical readouts. The management team is outstanding and they have a pretty diversified portfolio of rare and uh, some and other disorders. So we're excited about that one. And, and uh and it, I, I definitely think we're going to see a lot of acquisitions in the space in 2020. We're on the line with Paul Uke and Mark Shiras. They're the founding partners at uh, LifeSide Ventures ET, with the ETFs. Uh, Mark, one question, or Paul. Paul, you were on a while ago. Were you the one that gave us KRYS at the $10, $11 range? Because I know we've had a couple different biotech uh, experts on this show. Was that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we, we definitely talked about that one, and that's another perfect example of, of a, a very um, excellent gene therapy company focused on some rare disorders, and there's not a lot of competition when you focus on the, these diseases that, um, that no one else is focused on. And, uh, boy, uh, explain uh, Biogen to us here. Uh, they had a study for Alzheimer's, which I thought they scrapped, took a hit. They brought it back. New results came out. Was something for that more for the heart and clearing plaque. I, I still don't understand what's going on with that drug. Could uh, you give us an update and give us uh, some future uh, thoughts on Biogen hanging around three hundred dollars? Yeah, no, ha happy to take that one. This is Mark. Um, so you know, this is an interesting one where you know Biogen was developing. You know, really a flagship therapeutic for Alzheimer's disease based on this amyloid hypothesis, whereby, you know, the thesis was scientifically clearing the amyloid would, you know, lead to, uh, you know, symptom improvement and clinical benefit for Alzheimer's patients. And, 
they were running two, so the standard for approval is two large well-controlled phase three pivotal trials in which they were running, and they stopped early at an interim analysis because the interim analysis suggested that the studies would not meet the primary efficacy endpoint. Since that time, so, the, so that was, that led to the rapid decline in Biogen stock, you know, sort of back um, you know, early in the year, right? You see when it was trading in the 340 range and it, you know, came all the way down to, you know, just a little over 200. Um, the announcement, you know, a couple of months ago was that they have done a reanalysis of this data and they are, you know, they are going to go forward and file it and try to get approval. Um, and, and the rationale for doing that is, you know, one of the trials, you know, they're, they're, they're pointing to, you know, a benefit that was seen. Um, and the second trial, so there's um, the second trial, they, um, they're arguing that um, if you look at, you know, certain subsets of patients and, and you, you know, sort of, um, you know, do a little bit of interpretation of the data <laughs> and put it that way, um, that the trial could be viewed as positive. So um, step back for a second, right? It, it's very common to do, you know, post hoc analysis of clinical trials. Think of it like baseball statistics in the sense that, you know, you could, if you, you know, given the aggregate of all baseball statistics, you could correlate, you know, the phase of the moon to batting averages in certain stadiums if you tried hard enough, right? If, you, if given a large enough data set, you can find relationships that may or may not be cause and effect related. So in clinical trial analysis, anything that's done post hoc or after the trial is over, going back and looking at data and looking for correlations is always viewed with a sort of a lens of skepticism because, you know, just like baseball statistics, if you go in there, you know, within the variation of the data, you can, you know, point to relationships that may or may not be true. And to validate it, you would have to go forward and do it in a prospectively defined way and say, okay, we're going to do a new study to look exactly at, you know, this effect. So, you know, I think that, you know, the company is, is claiming that, um, you know, they have a totality of the data package that, you know, if you view it favorably suggests that the drug is having a beneficial effect. Um, and they, I think it's clear that, you know, by the strict standard of did they meet unambiguous benefit in the pre-specified primary endpoint in two well-controlled pivotal trials, the answer to that is no, right? So the company is saying, okay, if you look at the totality of the data and, and you know, you do some of this, you know, data, post hoc data analysis, you know, you can see a benefit here and we're going to file it, right? So um, the, the other side of the coin um, to, to analyze here is, is the risk side. So we've talked about the efficacy side, right? So I think that what I've tried to summarize is that you know, the efficacy did not meet the usual standard for approval set out for the indication, and the company's trying to rely on, you know, a little bit of data analysis to bridge that gap. Um, the other side in any new drug evaluation is the safety side. And from a safety perspective, you know, there, there is you know, a, a rate of this, um, um, you, you know, a lot of patients drop out of the study, although these are severe patients, so these things happen, but, you know, there's this ARIA um, uh, side effect, which is, um, you know, sort of this thing that shows up on imaging that, that could be associated with some, you know, some cranial bleeding and whatnot, and, you know, I think that, the you know, the true risk is perhaps not precisely characterized, but there could be some risk here. So, so there's a risk argument to be made that, well, you know, if efficacy isn't a smoking gun and there might be some, you know, some, some risk here to these patients, is the overall risk-benefit positive? And I think that, you know, overall the street from folks I talked to, you know, has some skepticism about the trial, and I think it's, you know, it's probably being probabilized at 30 or something percent if you look at the stock price and just estimate what's being priced in. So, um, you know, I think that's kind of where it's at. That was a really good answer. That was a good explanation of, I think, of, of the, the entire process here and what, what we can expect going forward. Uh, one more before I let you guys go. I don't know if you followed the medical device space. We're getting a question from our chat about Shockwave Medical SWAV. I don't know if it's on your radar. If it is, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I can take that. This is Paul. I mean, Shockwave, 
Uh, they do have a great product. It's, it's really achieving tremendous growth. New product. Doctors make money. Nice razor, razor blade model. Um, and so, you know, one of the two or three, I think, medical device IPOs of the year, and that's the contrast with uh, 30 or, or so in the biotech sector. So there's a little bit of scarcity that's driving uh, some of these small cap medical device, high growth medical device companies up. Shockwave came out roughly the same week as another company called Silk, S-I-L-K. Um, you know, these companies are trading at extremely high valuations, 10 to 20 times sales in some cases. So I think we're going to see more medical device stories come out. I think you need to build a diversified book. But if you look at kind of a mid-cap and larger-cap companies, there is uh, exciting growth ahead. Dexcom and Insulet, which is PODD in the space, are continuing to trend higher. Sales have been um, nicely beating estimates. And really, they've been insulated from a lot of the uh, medical reform concerns that the drug space has had. So I think there's room higher on shock. I think they, they could beat, uh, beat estimates for, for a while moving forward just because their growth has been pretty ex uh, explosive. All right, we've been on the line with Paul Uke and Mark Charest from LifeSci Venture Partners and LifeSci Fund Management. Paul and Mark, thank you both so much for the time today and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Enjoy it. All right, um, 8.55 here now. Joel, what did I miss out there? Anything? Oh, got you on mute there. Got right? me on mute. Uh, not much. Uh, that quick dip was, uh, that was bought out and uh, went down to 62.50, and now you're right back near the highs of the session. So pre-market high, uh, 31.85, even that's your target. After that, folks, maybe we can talk about uh, 3,200 in the futures and just going um, – Going here off the December contract, I'll be uh, have those fresh March numbers on Monday. Um, someone in the chat dropped in Grub. Grub? Man. Okay, let's take Who a look is at buying this stock? We're on the comeback trail. Who is buying this? Buy the dippers there, Mr. Israel. Don't you listen to pre-market prep? No, I buy the dip. Yes, I don't. <laughs> uh, Grub, grub, you know what? The, the bottom, Joel called it perfectly. The day we got the eight downgrades or nine downgrades in one day, that was the absolute bottom. And you, kinda, you were joking a bit, but you were serious a bit there too. Like everybody threw in the towel. That was the very bottom. It, it got nine downgrades the day after that bad news, hit the low at 32.11, and it's been straight up ever since. Everybody I downgraded this at the worst possible time. That is nine could, downgrades. Could you do? Could you design a filter for me right now? If uh, D. A. Davidson, Wedbush, Stiefel, Nicholas, J. M. P. Mizuho, Cowan, B. T. I. G. Goldman Sachs, Craig Hallam, Gordon Haskett, and Guggenheim all downgrade the stock on the same day. They automatically buy. All in. All in. <laughs> all in. Joel's <laughs> Joel's the gambler, and I'm all. Oh, in. <laughs> I mean, holy moly! Come on. And then we the, said about it that day. If there was ever going to be everybody throwing in the towel, this is it. We didn't, you know. But you said it. You were saying this could be the bottom when everybody throws in the towel like that. I didn't buy it. You didn't buy it. I don't. Oh think no, we, no. Wish we woulda. But yeah, unbelievable. I, it's been straight up. I mean, straight up ever since. You're talking about one of the best performers in the last month. The stocks went from $32 to $42. You're talking about a 30% move here in just over a month and a half. It makes no sense. It's that day that everyone downgraded it. And uh, just for simple trip, I mean, that day you made a low at $32.55, right? The next day you went to $32.11, you know, took out that low. And then you came back up, it closed at 34, and then you had maybe a couple days to buy it, you know, 32, 33. But, uh, yeah, that's interesting. But now, uh, up 12 cents, I mean, gap? Are you looking for a gap fill here? That's going to take a while. A lot of your shorter-term players. So 56, 51, I guess if you're trying to trade this thing on a shorter, just look at, like, your average daily ranges and use that as potential targets. Uh, if it's going to continue to move higher up to 56, 51, but not much in there. Uh, grub on the rebound. All right. Uh, no hot potato today. I, I thought with with the two gas, we, would, we wouldn't have time. And also between the, the Brexit and the trade war, it's probably news for, day. Uh, news day. <laughs> today was a news day. Some days are light on news. Some days are heavy. Today is the latter of the we two. We didn't even get to this story, and it's I Heart Media. Um, yeah, they're maybe getting taken off the board here. Well, I, they, they, there's a 
there, it sounds like there's a proposal on the table here. We don't have any numbers for you. At least we didn't last night when I looked oh, at it. But I Liberty Media, it's it's Liberty, right? And Liberty already owns a big stake, and they were talking about they've raised this. They're seeking to raise the stake or purchase. I can just read it right from the headline. There's uh, Liberty Media affiliate is seeking raise stake in or a purchase, an outright purchase of iHeartMedia, which is I IHRT. So it looks yeah. like IHRT. Um, is potentially in play by Liberty Media. All right, we'll keep an eye on that story. Spencer, anything else you'd like to uh, add? Yeah, I, for, I forgot to mention this yesterday, uh, but I did mention it briefly on Wednesday. Uh, if you want to call us now and leave us a voicemail, uh, you can do that. If you want to ask us your question, if you're in you the chat. You can't take a lot just live callers? No, no, not yet. No. We don't have the capabilities for that? No, no we're going to. We're, that's what we're. No live callers All right. yet. All but right. We know you can ask us questions in the chat. If you want to call us up and ask a question that way, you can do that. Just leave, uh, call this number I'm going to give. Leave, tell us your name, what your question is, and we'll play it on the air, and we'll talk about it. So the, the number is 734-494-0246. It's a Google Voice number. Again, 734-494-0246. You all the telemarketing oh. algos out there just all of a sudden wrote down your number, so you can That's expect okay. a lot of telemarketing it calls. Won't. That's okay. It, it's, a Google <laughs> voice, it's a Google voice number. It's going to the cloud. We'll, we'll get the voicemails, and uh, we'll play them on the air if, uh, if we get any ones that we like. So give us a call there. Also, if you miss any part of our show, you can catch our full archives of every show from last – yesterday I went back to the beginning. I think the earliest show we have up there is from 2014. So those are on SoundCloud, um, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify. Also, we watch our show – on youtube.com slash Benzinga TV. I want to thank both our guests today, Paul Uke and Mark Charest. Thanks to all of you in our chat rooms. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as, as informational purposes only, not for investing or trading advice. Guys, any final thoughts here? No, no. Just uh, keep your eye um, on the headlines. By the dip. Yeah, it looks I, like by the dip wins again. They were, yeah, we're at 8 o'clock. We ended up, you know, selling off significantly and going red. And look, you know, we're right back up there again. These dips only last minutes now. It seems like it. Dips last minutes. All right, everyone, have seems a great like rest of your Friday the 13th. Good luck out there. Have a good weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.